Thank you guys for your patience and just hanging out with the Lord. I, I want to encourage you to come to the worship nights we're going to have once a month because we can do this just unhindered for as long as we want. And uh, we do that when we've had them in the past and we just lay out before God until, until Jesus is done. And um, we just, we, 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 uh, we like doing that. So we welcome you to come to those. We're going to be the last Sunday of every month. Um, this month here, it's going to be here at the church, but every month after that, we're going to have it at a neutral uh, venue, and that helps people not feel like um, they're coming underneath one church authority, that we can meet um, in neutrality and, and just focus on, on Jesus. Amen? Um, real quick, if you guys would help me, I have a, a quick announcement. First of all, pray for me because... Um, the message I have today is, it's been on my heart for a while, but it's not an easy message to preach because, well, you'll just see why, but just, it's, it's something that's, that I struggle with, um, because people's perceptions aren't often reality, yet they think they are, and then whenever the reality's challenged, sometimes people can get a little bit excited, so, um, may we all hear from the Lord, especially me. Um, but real quick, just a housekeeping thing. I'm going to put a different sign up there, but you guys will notice there's a sign right to the right of the door. We really care about your kids, and um, we have such a vibrant community um, that after church, a lot of them want to run across the street and go to the skate park. Um, we've tried like just to kind of help with that or like somebody volunteering to go out and watch them, but we need to, to we need you to make sure that, that you understand that your, your kids are your responsibility. Um, we, we can't take, uh, that on. I've personally witnessed almost four kids literally getting hit like within a couple feet. Um, so please, just please help us watch your kids. Um, if you can't watch them, then don't send them out there. If you don't trust who's out there, then don't send them out there. They are ultimately your responsibility, and we would really hate for some kid to get in some auto accident because they just run out, you know, across the street there. Um, so please, 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 please watch your children or at least help them across the street, and um, if somebody else is out there that you trust, that that's between you and that person. The church can't take responsibility of, of getting your kids back and forth. So help us with that. I, I personally witnessed it several times, and it made my heart go into my stomach. I was like, oh, my Lord, I don't want to have to pray to raise the dead. Okay, I believe God can do it, but I don't want to test him. You know what I mean? Especially if it's on your child. Um, so please help us with that, because this road does get a little dangerous, and it gets more so as summer goes on, um, because people get out and about and, and, and use the area across the street. So um, please help us with that, if you, if you don't mind, okay? Um, I know we're all close and everything, and, but there's, sometimes there's assumptions that, somebody, oh, somebody's watching my child, when they might not be. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's your thing, you know? Uh, we'll help as much as we can, but we can't take the the load, all right? Okay, you guys okay? Everybody feel better? 
Um, please be patient with me. This is, I'm probably gonna have to split this into two parts. I would really love to get it into one because as the mind has five to six days to lose itself throughout the week, sometimes we don't really connect the two together as we split them up. So I don't think that I'm gonna get through all this because when you're talking about the love of God, you're talking about God himself and that's, there's no more eternal issue than that. <laughs> and, and love is one of those topics that if you talk to five different people, you're going to get 10 different answers on what it is. And it's funny how we're constantly trying to redefine God based upon where we're at instead of us allowing him to find love based on where he's at. Do you understand that? This is a hard subject for me to speak on because everybody has your pet idea of Jesus and it's not wrong for where you're at. It's just not ultimately who he is in, in eternality. Does that make sense to you? And so as many times where you're at, we can get to a place in our life where we judge God as only being that because that's as limited of an experience as we've had and no one can convince us that he's not that entirely. And then we create division when somebody else has a different idea of the love of God. And it's ironic that love doesn't create division, but as soon as our love is challenged with somebody else's definition, division happens. Isn't that funny how we think that's what love is, but then the fruit of that love ends up in division? See, I'm going to make this statement later on, but when, when we see division, we say, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave. When God sees, or when, when we see disagreement, we say, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave. When God sees disagreement in us, he says, I'm going to come. See, because when Jesus came to this earth, it's not because he agreed with us. In fact, we were doing everything wrong. Everything. Religiously, morally, spiritually, we didn't get one thing right. And God disagreed with the entire process of humanity. He said, but because I disagree with you, I need to come and show you how to do it. So when God sees disagreement, he presses in because he is love and that's what love does. When we see disagreement, we create division because we don't have God love but you can't tell somebody that because they believe they do. But the fruit of their love isn't the fruit of God. How many believe that it's God to split families up? How painful of a process is that? But see, at one point, those people said, I love you. Didn't they? And then later on, they realized that's not love. So when we're talking about, for those of you who are visiting, bear with me. I'm, we're right in the middle of a, a series of going verse by verse through Ephesians. Most powerful book on Christian life there is in the Bible. You could take that book alone and study it and know the will of God for all of humanity. Paul does a very good job outlying God, human relationship. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. So we're going verse by verse, and we're on that segment where it says, husbands, love your wives. 
And that has to be defined because if we just simply say that statement alone, then that statement gets interpreted through the definition of love that that husband might have. That's a problem if the husband's a narcissist. So we can't just generically say love your husbands. The reason we feel like it's generic in scripture is because scripture was talking about the kind of love that Jesus showed. So love was not self-defined. It was already divinely exposed. And everybody has to come into that definition of love. The problem we have in church and family today is that love is basically saying, you come into my definition or we can't get along. Because I've told people over and over and over again that true love isn't true love until it's in the antagonism of what love really is. You can't love people until they're unlovely. Otherwise, it's only just you agreeing with the carnal nature that you can get along with in each other. If the gifts match, then I can love you. No, that's not love. It's phileo, but it's not agape. I'll explain that if you don't know what that means. Most of you do. But the church is more familiar with phileo love than they are agape love. Because do you realize that there's more kinds of love than just one? So that means we have to define what love is. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor... As yourself, when Jesus says love your enemy, when Paul says love your, your wives, which form of love are they talking about? It's the agape love. It's not the phileo love. I can prove to you that modern day Christianity exists under the banner of phileo love. Phileo love is this. It's brotherly love that's attached to emotion. It's a friendship that has an emotional construct attached to it. The Bible does talk about this type of love, that we should have it amongst one another. It's not a bad type of love, but it's not the God kind of love. It's a brother kind of love. But when Jesus says, love one another, and through Paul, love your wives, and through Paul, love each other, he's not talking about phileo love. It's agape. So what is agape love? It's the Jesus kind of love. What does that mean? Does that mean that everything that you want and need, God just gives it to you? No, the agape kind of love is where you position yourself in such a sacrificial way that the people you're trying to love are actually crucifying you. There is no emotion attached to it except usually pain. Jesus says, love them, agape them the way I have agaped you. And when we look at the context of love in scripture, we see that it costs Jesus everything to love us. And we're barely willing to lift a finger in disagreement to love our brother. Why? Because we're more familiar with phileo than agape. In other words, if I emotionally disturb you, I'm hard to love for you. The problem I have with that is, is that I, I'm not hard to love for God. So who has the real problem? Because you're in our definition of love most oftentimes 
depends on how that person makes us feel. Well, I just don't agree with your gift. All the more reason to press into it. You know what we do? I'm gonna go find another church that more suits my needs. I thought we were here for his needs. That's what I thought. So be patient with me. I forgot my iPad, so I'm gonna do it on my phone. And my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. You know, uh, I actually, one of the, I think as far as I know, one of the few people that actually like getting old, like, I'm ready, like, I'm good. I'm gonna meet Jesus, it's coming. And the older I get, I may, I may still be wrong, but the older I get, the more people kind of have to just respect me. <laughs> if they don't, that's fine, but in my mind, it kind of works. So I'll repent about that later because I'm, according to Bobby, who's much older than I am, I'm wrong. So, but it is a dream, Okay. Husbands, love your wives. Jesus basically comes down in Matthew 5 to tell us that love is contextual to your enemies. He says, if you love those who love you, what good is it? Even the heathen can do the same. The tax collectors can do that. And what we want is a church culture that gives us no ability to actually show true love. We want the church culture to be so perfect and without flaw that we actually never have the opportunity to show true love to one another. Because guys, I've, been, I've done this a long time. And do you know how many times I see people leave a church because they're offended? You know what that tells me? They never loved in the first place. Yet out of their mouth, I love you, pastor. We'll see. Because at some point, God's gonna allow my humanity to give you the opportunity to truly love me. Hmm. The agape kind of love, the one that hurts. Husbands, love your wives with the kind of love that hurts. The kind of love that's okay to be abused. The kind of love that's okay to be wounded and expects nothing in return. See, love is the center of the command in Ephesians 5. Love your wives. Love is the center of the command. But when we talk about love, we cannot talk about love without talking about God because the Bible specifically says that God is love. And I will prove to you, not only in the familiar family element, but also in scripture, that love and the idea of it has to grow. Otherwise, it is not true love. You cannot grow in God without growing in love. Which means at some point, your definition of love is going to be skewed. And when God calls you into a deeper definition of that, you're probably not going to want to go. And how he calls you into it is by giving you a challenge for someone to love. 
Because that's the only way you and I as stubborn people will finally agree that we don't love people when we find someone who's hard to love. And then the Holy Spirit tells us, they're not hard for me to love. But you know what we'll do? We'll start pulling out all of their wrongs to justify why we don't have to love them. And thank God he doesn't do that to you. Or none of us would be loved. Now I want to talk about love from the aspect of who God is, but I also want to talk about love from the aspect of it being given and receiving. Because I promise you this, guys, a huge percentage of the church of Jesus Christ interprets love only from the reception standpoint and not from the giving standpoint. In other words, I judge your love for me by how I receive it, not by how it's given. Do you know how many times corrections come to people's lives and they didn't take it because of how it made them feel, but the pastor or the leader or the father or the mother in the home only had the best interest of the person in mind? But because they want to say, that's not love. In other words, you're not filleting, filleting me. No, I'm trying to agape you. I don't want that kind of love. I want the love that makes me feel good, that patronizes me, pats me on the back, is all inclusive to my sin, and never gets into my business. But I want you to be in my life too. Oh, it's a conundrum that pastors have. You got to be flawless. But don't be perfect because that's, that's wrong, pastor. Don't make any mistakes. Or I'm going to leave and find a different pastor. And it's amazing how many churches those people have been to. Because you know what it comes down to? Those types of people, the only church they're ever going to be okay with is the one that they're pastoring themselves. It's amazing how many times we take our personal revelations and try to lord over somebody else with them. See, love is a transfer of natures. Love sent his spirit to fill us because what was filling us was vile and selfish. Love will go to the very ends of the earth in order to bring that transfer in someone else. Even if they don't want it, they'll still try to give. See, love in its truest form is not love until you're on the giving side. If love for you is only about how you receive it and love for you is only about how it makes you feel, then you do not know what true love is. If that's the way you are, then you're a baby, you're immature, you're carnal, and you're selfish. Now, is that wrong? Only if you've been there for a really long time. Because some young people get saved and grow up in the Lord, and they need that. You need that phileo love in the beginning. You need that tender grace and mercy because you have to be proven to that, that God's not against you. 
Why? Because later on in life, whenever he starts acquire, requiring something of you, you know his nature, but you also know he commands something from you. And you don't improperly process who he is through negativity. You know he's love. You know he's grace. You know he's patience. You know he's kindness. But you also know that love is severity, it's discipline, and it's judgment. But you tell a young believer those things, and they freak out. No, 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 that's not who God is. It's because you're too young to have seen anything other than your definition of love. Are they wrong for where they're at? No, they're exactly correct, which, is, which gives them all the more reason to defy the authority, which love would never do. Let me, let me give you a little bit of an example. God speaks to us in many ways, but many ways he speaks to us is through the home life. It's the closest relationship God can actually simulate in this earth to be able to get us to understand what he has to deal with in us. This is why marriage covenant is so important because it's the covenant that God makes with us as the bride of Christ. Same, same covenant. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. That's marriage talk. Okay? But within the marriage, you'll see many different nuances. How many of you guys learned about the father the moment you had kids? Like all of a sudden, like all this stuff about the father, the father. Then when you had kids, you're like, I get it. I get it. You make, does this make sense to you? So in the home life, God begins to speak to us. But let me, let me say this. Let's say you have two sons. One's three and one's 16. Do you realize they're going to have two different ideas of who father is? Both are not wrong. One's just incomplete and immature. So the 16-year-old walks by the three-year-old one day and says, you better stop doing that or you're going to get in trouble. And the three-year-old looks at the 16-year-old and says, you don't know my daddy. My daddy changes my diapers. He loves me. He does everything for me. He puts me on his lap and he sings me to sleep. My daddy is not that way. And you need to learn who our father is. And the 16-year-old chuckles. Because daddy just told him, go plow the field. And if you don't do a good job, it's going to affect the family business, which is going to affect our entire lifestyle. And it's going to affect the community and everything I'm trying to produce. And all this pressure is on you. I will be with you to do it, but you better get out there and plow that field. And the love for the 16-year-old, for the father, is this. I love you enough to bring you into my family business and trust you with what I've created and started. And the three-year-old throws a temper tantrum because he's mad at the 16-year-old because he doesn't know what love is. This is the church. I don't want to put time frames on it, but I've seen a pattern of history that anybody who's saved less than eight to 10 years usually has this third grade, third, third, three-year-old mentality. Because God does start that way. He does change your diapers. He does deal with your junk. He does clean you and hold you and, 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 and just love you. And, and he does those things. 
And we need that as a foundation. You don't teach your, your three-year-old, two-year-old, your one-year-old discipline first. You teach, them, you teach them love. You teach them, you know, phileo kind of love, emotional kind of love. You teach them to trust you. You, you hold them. You coddle them. You, you believe in them. You encourage them. They've got to have that foundation. They have to. But as they grow, things have to change. Because phileo love, long-term, creates entitled people who abuse others. As things grow, husbands, let me ask you a question. You've had some intimate moments with your kids. But you're walking by one day and you see one of your sons smack your wife in the mouth. Are you going to phileo that child? Are you going to be like, oh, son, it's okay. I just love you. There's no condemnation here in this house. If that is your response, I feel sorry for you. Because your wife doesn't respect you if that's your response. My kids ever do that, it will not be good. Because I'm a father. And my job as a father is to father my house. Does it include the mercy and grace? Absolutely. My kids don't even understand how much mercy and grace I give them. <laughs> they have no idea. How many times that I could bring out discipline and I do not. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. But we begin to understand sometimes by how God's treating us that we think that's His nature. No, that's His mercy and His grace. He expects you to grow up into being a son. True agape love will eventually lead you to a place where of, of extreme excruciating pain for another. Are you with me? See, love is not self-defined. Love is God who defines himself. And we get problems in the church when people start defining what love is. If you ever find someone who cares enough about you to correct you, hang on to that person. Don't allow the sniveling little fleshly nature inside of you to separate because they stepped on your American toes. Because in the kingdom, you don't have rights. I know as an American citizen, you have rights. But in the kingdom, you don't have any rights. And we mesh Christianity with Americanism. We don't have rights. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you lost all rights. The only right we have is to learn what love is and practice it amongst one another. 
And so do you realize that when we try to practice agape love with one another, there's gonna be so many circumstances that come that offend and hurt and wound. Everybody wants community till it gets to the hard part. What they don't know is that they selfishly want phileo community. But true community will get into your business. It will challenge your idea of God. And to the degree that you're offended shows the degree of love you actually have for the people that you verbally say, I love you. If you see offense in someone, that's not love. If you come to me, and I've had people tell me this, and I chuckle now because it's happened to me for 25 years. I'm just really used to it. I've had people tell me, I don't like you. And I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> like maybe 20 years ago, I've been really offended. I've been wounded. Oh God, they don't like me. What did I do wrong? But I've grown up in maturity to where it doesn't matter whether you like me or not, I'm going to love you. As much as you'll let me. And if you don't let me a lot, then I'll love you where, you, where you'll let me love you. Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 37, you'll love the Lord your God. You'll agape the love that I'm gonna show you to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment and the second's like unto it. You will agape your neighbor. Not phileo. Not emotional friendship where it's volatile based upon whether I tell you the truth or not. But it's so funny to me as a pastor, I've corrected a lot of people over the years and I never like it. I never want to do it. It's always a chore. I'm like, oh my God, I don't have to do this. And people think I just get off on it, you know? Like I don't, I, I hate doing it. I hate doing it. But it's amazing to me that those same people I've had to correct at one point in their life, they've come and told me like, yeah, pastor, I just told this guy the truth and it was the truth and you just got offended. And then I tell them the truth and then they're offended. And it's like, is that, oh, it's not a two-way street. For I see, I get it. You're a liberal Christian. It only goes your way. I apologize if you're a liberal, I don't. See, the ones who receive love will never understand the one who gives it. Because love in a received form cannot understand the intention of the giver of the love they're receiving. And if they stay a receiver of love and never a giver, they're gonna begin to judge the giver of love by how they receive it. Because they're not seeing clearly. So many times people have this idea of God. Because see, when you redefine love, you're redefining God. See, we don't think as modern believers that we build golden calves and worship them. But we do. Every time you redefine love, you're building an image of God that you think he is. And you're falling down and worshiping that. Do you realize that that scripture that Jesus tells in, in, in John 4, he says, you don't, even know, you, you don't even know who you're worshiping. He says, you worship whom you do not know. That's still true in the church today. We worship every Sunday and many of us are worshiping the person we don't even really know. 
We're worshiping the God that we think he is based on the experience he's given us thus far. And for everybody, that experience level is different. You know, back when I was young, there was a lot of people that got radically saved during that era and the Pensacola and, and, and almost all of them, including myself, as soon as I was like, just this thing over that generation that as soon as we got saved, we went to a Turner Burn message. And you couldn't convince us that that wasn't true. Is it true? Sure, it's true. But is that what you start with with people? Absolutely not. Hey, my name's Chad. How are you? You're going to hell if you don't repent. That doesn't work. But you couldn't teach us back then that that didn't work. We had to get proven to that that doesn't work. Is it true? Absolutely. It's true. If people don't repent, they're going to hell. How we get them there determines whether you're a father or you're a hireling. How many of you guys know, if you've been married any length of time, that the kind of love you have for your wife now is different than the kind of love you had for your wife when you first got married? If you haven't been married for very long, then you don't know what I'm talking about. My love for my wife is deeper than it was the day I married her. It's different. It's not as emotional, but it's so much better. And I can't define it. And those of you who have been married a long time that still love your wives, you understand what I'm talking about. It's like, it's just something there. It's like, I just love you. And not because you're giving me the reasons. It's just, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm, I'm, I love you. And it's not a phileo emotional thing. It's deeper than that. It's not an emotion. And we think love is an emotion. And that's how we, you know, I've, I've been to churches before that tell the truth and, they, and then people say, there's no love in that church. It's like, you, you, mean, you mean you didn't like the way it was done and so you're gonna complain and whine and moan and groan and create division in the body of Christ, which is not the love of God, just simply because the pastor or the leaders didn't acquiesce to your personal definition. I, I understand. I got it. Are people at different places? Absolutely. But if somebody comes to you in wanting to correct you, you're going to know whether they're doing it out of spite or out of love. And, if, and you're never going to like it. It's easy to shake your head now, but if I'm the one in your face over something and I'm like, hey, you can't do this. If justification is the first thing out of your mouth, I know you're not hearing me. Be careful with that. Do you know why pride is so dangerous? Because pride, let me give you a small little spiritual warfare lesson. Pride is the great protector of every other demon. And demons know that if the light comes and they're exposed, they have to leave. And so if pride can protect the rest of those devils from having the light come in, then they get to stay. You know why humility is so powerful? Because it disarms pride. 
pride falls, the light comes in, the rest of the spirits are exposed, and now you can be free. Justification is a fruit of pride. I'm not wrong, you are. That's how you know when you're talking to somebody who really doesn't love you. They may phileo you, but they don't love you. You can't tell them that, though, because they're convinced. Do you know how many times in the Bible where God shows his great love and it's not seen as love until later on in the story? Love does not have its purest work until it's given without the expectation of it being received. In other words, if you are into the agape love and you're trying to give it and nobody receives it, so what? Your job is not to make them receive it. Your job is to continue to give it. But when you get offended because they don't receive it, you are exposed. Love will expose you. It's not just people in here, but my whole life I've had people come to me and say, man, this person is really hard to love. I'm like, no, they're not. They're really not. You're just in the way. Let me, let me give you a little piece of advice. Take it or leave it. But I think you should be more concerned about, about the people that you think you can love. Here's why. Because those type of people, you're basically saying, I don't need you, God, to love this person. I got this. And real love has to come from him. And so I would be more concerned about the people in your life that you think you don't need God to love because then it's just your love, which means it's probably phileo. It's probably something you get along with them on a human level. It's probably something that's so human that they have the power to manipulate you. The people you're gonna love the purest are the ones that you think are hardest to love. Why? Because you're forced to go to God to get it from them. And it's not an emotional thing. Because they're hard for you to love, it doesn't feel good to your flesh, which means many times it can be trusted because love in its greatest form is a choice. I have people in my life that I don't feel emotionally phileo to, but I love them because I choose to love them. And I choose to force myself to not look at what's wrong in their life. And I choose to find the gold in them. Even though the constant filth of who they are is being dumped on me. It's okay. I'll clean that off. And we'll get there if you'll just stay with me, bro. That's love. But we think because love is void of an emotion, that it's not love. Oh, no, 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 no. The greatest act of God in love happened on the cross when Jesus felt no emotion but pain. 
And the greatest act of love you will ever have, men, to love your wives will come in the moment of pain. But if you get offended because of the circumstance, if you get offended because of the scenario, if you get offended because of how she's acting, then you are exposed by love, showing you you're not like God yet. Because God is not moved by rebellion. He will chase the rebel to their grave. And we want to leave because we disagree. (sighs) You know, it's funny when people tell me that. I'm like, your own wife doesn't agree with you. Why are you making this a thing about me and you? Ain't a woman in here that agrees with everything their husband does. And you're going to try to make it some spiritual disconnect between us because you don't agree with me. You married someone who disagrees with you. And you can't stay in a church? Oh my gosh. Love is not the acceptance of where people are. Love is an invitation to where they should be. Jesus, you know, doesn't accept where you are. He'll meet you there, but he does not accept it. And we think because Jesus is showing us love that he's condoning where we're at. No. He's there to deliver you from it. I say this all the time. It's so hard for people to get a hold of. When the presence of God falls on you in a church or in your private time, it's not because you're doing everything right. The Spirit comes for three reasons. The Bible's very clear. To convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Many times when you're feeling the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not because you're right with God. Now, you are right by the righteousness of faith, but I'm just saying circumstantially where you're at, your character, you're not like Jesus yet. I'm not there. When the Spirit falls on us, it's an invitation to come out of where we are, not to condone where we are. But so many people think God's an emotion, and so then when the Spirit touches us, we think, oh, brother, the Lord's just blessed me. No, he's trying to love you so that you'll trust him so that you can come out of where you are because he knows that if you stay there, you're going to die. These immature people have never read their Bible or they white out the ones in Scripture that they don't want to see. In the New Testament, Hebrews, talking to Hebrews, saved people, not Gentiles, not unbelievers. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Oh, brother, you don't know my father. First Peter, if the righteous are scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Spoken to believers. Oh, brother, you just don't know my father. He's goodness, he's mercy, he's love. Yeah, he is. But he's also something else you haven't seen too. It's complete immaturity to define the depth and the eternality of love by the limited sphere of influence you've seen of it because God cannot fully unveil himself to you as love because it would kill you. 
In fact, love is so deep that it will take all of eternity, eon upon eon, for him to unpack it, and it never will be fully unpacked. And yet we will admit with our finite minds that it's frail and I can't understand the fullness of God, but yet when it comes down to defining love, you're like, brother, I know what love is. I'll admit to you that my mind needs to be renewed, but I also admit to you that my mind knows exactly what love is. Oh, you know exactly what God is, but your mind still needs to be renewed. That is weird to me. The fact that, you know, the 16-year-old is not gonna argue with the three-year-old. It's like, all right, whatever. (laughs) He'll figure it out soon. But the three-year-old will argue with the six-year-old or 16-year-old. Uh-uh. Okay. Love was the coming of Jesus Christ to an earth that wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted nothing to do with his ways, his definitions, his actions unless they already directly benefited what they'd already decided to do. And everybody wants counsel basically for this reason, to see if you're gonna already agree with what they've already decided. (laughs) And then whenever the pastor or the person or the counselor doesn't agree, they're like, well, I just disagree with that. Okay. I'm not your micromanager. I'm not gonna change what I do. I wonder why you called this meeting because we just wasted a bunch of time. I'm here for you, but I can only take you where you want to go. See, we, we define love on how it benefits us. God defines love by the sacrifice of how it benefits others. Let me say that again. We define love on how it benefits us. God defines love by the sacrifice of us to benefit others. Do you realize that when you're in agape love, you aren't fulfilled? (laughs) When you're in agape love, it's all about the giving, which means you're emptying yourself. You aren't fulfilled when you're in agape love. You're trying to fulfill someone else. And people interpret agape love to be phileo. Because that's where they're at. I want you to turn to, um, let me get here. I'm going to have to bypass some of this stuff. Agape love will offend you. Agape love sent Joseph on a journey that he didn't want to go on. Why? because the people needed a father to deliver them. Agape love sent Moses where he didn't want to be. Agape love had Daniel taken from his home. Agape love caused Jesus to do what he didn't want to do. Oh, he want no, no, go read, go read 
his human struggle in Gethsemane. He did not want to do that. And I don't blame him. Because there's times where I don't want to agape people either because of what it's going to cost me. And I know darn good and well I'm probably not going to get anything back from it. It's hard as a minister knowing by the Spirit that many times you're pouring into people that you know are going to walk out the door. You know it. You know it. The Holy Spirit's told you. They don't know it. They think they're there to stay. But you know it. And you still pour into them as if they're going to stay anyway. (laughs) That's your job. And it costs you something. And then whenever they take all the time they've poured into you and use it against you and turn it against you as they walk out the door and you have to suffer and just hang there and let them crucify you. If you've never been a pastor, then you don't understand what I'm saying. The closest thing you'll ever come is when one of your children turn on you and all you've done is try to love them their whole life. And they use that love you've given them to accuse you. Jesus says to John the Baptist when he's in prison, blessed are those who are not offended in me. The love of God called John the Baptist to be a sacrifice for a generation. See, when agape love leads you you're gonna have an opportunity to be offended. But Jesus says, blessed is the man who's not offended in my ways, in my true love. Any pastors I know that are offended at their congregation, they just will never say it. Because they hear the gossip that comes through the grapevine. It gets around. Be careful when you're in a community what you say, because it gets It gets around. See, how God treats those he loves looks like often something that we don't define as love. How God treated his son, if we were looking at that, we'd think that is a sadistic father that would do that to his boy. These people don't want him. They're spitting on him. And it is not love to treat your own son that way. But agape is different than phileo. Agape is willing to suffer so that someone else can be loved. Phileo can't do that. Phileo demands that you love me the way I want you to love me and no other way. And brother, if you cross those lines, you're gonna hear from me. Real quickly, I want you to turn to um, John 21. If I can finish with this. I want to prove to you biblically that love has to grow. That Jesus doesn't let you stay where you are in your definitions of love. He calls you out of them. And guys, let me give you a tip. The greatest hindrance to the next stage of growth in your life is the growth that you've had in your past season. 
In order to go from glory to glory, you have to be willing to let go of the old one to embrace the new one. And so many people religiousize themselves by getting seated in the old glory. Was it wrong? No. It's just yesterday's manna. But because it wasn't wrong, you can't convince them that that's not how God is with everything. To prove my point, all you have to do is go into some mainline denominational church and you'll see at some point in their history they had a revival, a move of God. And they stopped growing. And they stayed only in that truth. And they didn't grow in the love of God. You got that up there, bro? John 21, 15. Tehillah, would you, would you grab me another water, please? Sorry, thank you. So after they had eaten breakfast, interesting to me, this story. I love this story. Never really made sense to me until later on in my life with God. I always looked at this as like, I don't know, the way the church interprets it. And this was the restoration of Peter. And I'm not saying it wasn't that to a small degree. But it's much deeper than that. Story starts off with these guys are fishing. Thank you. And they didn't catch anything. So Jesus, like he is, the agape love, already has a meal prepared for him. He's still the provider. He's thinking about them, not himself. When all their energies and all their efforts came to nothing, he still made sure they were fed because that's what a good father does. And after they ate the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? You know that word love there you use? Guess what word guess what word it is? Agape. Because see, after Jesus had just gotten done defining love by his sacrifice on the cross, he's now asking Peter, Do you love me the same way that I just loved you? And G and Peter says, You know that I love you. Do you know what word Peter uses? Phileo. You know you're my friend and I have an emotional attachment to you and everything you've done. You know that the relationship I have with you is purely emotional and I feel deeply for you. And you're my brother. See, people say that he asked three times because of Peter's three-time betrayal. I don't believe that was true. I believe that Jesus asked him three times because he was trying to change his definition of love. He says, if you love me, feed my lambs. You know what the word lamb means? A baby sheep. Jesus here is prophetically outlining what it means to bring people through the maturity process of love. He says, you need to learn to love people like I have. 
But if you love me, you can't love me without loving my people. It's amazing to me how many times people will be willing to disagree and separate and have this animosity and bitterness toward a brother, yet in their heart, I love God. And God's like, no, you don't. First John talks about this later. He says, if you can't love your brother whom you can see, you know what word he uses? Agape. Then how can you love God who you can't? Can't. Feed my lambs. In other words, take care of the ones who are young and don't know the definition of love. They only know the phileo love, the emotional love, the love of the mother, the love of consolation and, 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 and soothing and coddling. But you can't convince them that that's not the fullness of love. So Jesus isn't okay with Peter's response. And so the next verse, he says, he said a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Peter responds, you know I phileo you. Feed my sheep. That word sheep is an old, mature animal. Help them grow into a definition of love, Peter. If you love me, show all aspects of love to my people. But I'm also asking you, do you agape me? I'm convinced that there are people in the church as a whole and in this church that your current relationship with God is phileo. Have you had experiences? Absolutely. Were they real? Yes, they were. But they're phileo. It was love giving to you. It was love stooping down and loving you where you were at. And you haven't had the ability to agape God yet because if you had the ability to agape God, you would sacrifice every last cell in your body for his people. Especially if it wounded you because that's the context that you get to show love in. I don't know very many people in my life that can love somebody after that person's offended them. You know what I see in most church people as they get offended? They, they create a distance in the relationship. But they don't understand that that was their opportunity. See, they want love to cover a multitude of sins when it comes towards their sins. But they were not willing to cover a multitude of sins when it sinned against them. Because they phileo God. Feed my sheep. Next verse. Again, Peter, do you love me? All three times for Peter responds with phileo love. 
But the command of Jesus was what? It was agape. And he defined agape, didn't he? To sacrifice one's life for those who are against you. Not to sacrifice your life for those who are for you, though you would do that too. But that's easy. So ask yourself, you're part of this little community here. Do you have phileo love to people? Or do you have agape? Can you still be their intimate, close friend after they show you what they really think about you? Or will you be offended? Because let me tell you something. If you've been in this community at any great length of time, everybody has had thoughts about everybody that they will never tell you. That's true. And most of us would crater if we knew what people thought. Why? Because when knowledge comes, love is tested. Jesus had an intimate knowledge of your sin, your rebellion, and your nature. And yet knowledge did not keep him from giving you agape love. And if knowledge keeps you from loving someone, you don't love them. Because God will allow something in your life to offend you at some point. Why? Because you have to be given the choice because love is a, agape love is a, you can't tell me that Jesus in Gethsemane felt all kinds of butterflies and goosebumps concerning his love for you. It was the hardest decision he ever made, but he made it. Thank God. Thank you, God, for making that decision for me. Far be it for me not to love your people the way you loved me. Far be it for me when I stand before God and he says, you only knew phileo love because you were selfish and carnal. Because God will be true on the final day because he cannot lie. I heard a story of a man who died and went to heaven. And he was talking to Jesus and Jesus said, it's not time for you to go be here, but I, I brought you here to tell you something. Go tell my people this. And this man said, Lord, I can't. They're not gonna listen. He said, you always were a coward. And he knew immediately, he didn't feel any condemnation when Jesus said it because he knew that truth was reality. And that God, he said, God couldn't lie to me about my condition. And guess what? He came back and he preached with fire and zeal what the Lord told him to say because that cowardice left him when truth exposed it. Because that's what love does. Love exposes things so that people can grow. Fathers do it in their own homes and yet whenever a legal parental spiritual guardian does it to them, bless God, I just disagree with you. I follow the Spirit. I'm sorry the Holy Spirit works through people. Yeah, 
Third time, do you love me? I love you. I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Same word is used as the second time. Why? Because older ones are harder to love. You know, the hardest ones to love are the ones that are spiritual teenagers and deceived and think they know everything. The moment they disagree with pastor, they, start, they stop coming to the meetings because they're afraid and they don't like that guy. It's amazing how many people come to me and tell me that, but they love everything that I've built. And I want to tell them, like, the two are connected. You say, well, that's arrogant. You didn't build anything. I'm a co-laborer with Christ. Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. Don't get religious and stupid on me. God lets us build. Wise woman what? Don't, don't tell me you're religious garbage. People don't like me, but they love what I've built. Do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. He gets all glory, all power, and all praise. He knows that in my heart. He knows I'm not sitting here going, look what I built. He knows that. He knows I'm humble and broken before him, and God, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. I've dreaded this sermon for three weeks. Because when you challenge people's definition of love, you challenge their definition of God, and nobody usually responds very well to that. Because we have our phileo affinities that are emotional. And God, though he does and can create emotion, his love is a choice. Do you know that that's the same way it is in human life that you chose to have kids before you loved them? Did you know that? You didn't love your kids before you had them. You chose to have them. And then you love them. God chose to bring us into this life. Love was a choice. God chose to create us and make us. And our whole Christian destiny is to unpack love. <laughs> Do you know the love of God will one day judge the nations? And that judgment to these modern, immature Christians are gonna look at Jesus and go, that's not love. You know, there's people that come to church and they have a spirit of another Jesus. So what do you mean by that, pastor? I'll tell you exactly what I mean. You got touched by the real one. You got touched by the real Jesus. But then you created an idea of who he is based upon the touch. And when you come to church, you worship the one you created in your mind, not the one that really exists on the throne. Because when somebody gets saved and he's an addict, <laughs> you can't prove to him that God's not a deliverer. Because he is. But is that all that he is? No. Bless God, you don't know my father. Oh, I do. In fact, I know him more than you do. Not me. I'm just saying the, the spiritual mature person. Like I've, I've been through. I know he's a deliverer, but he's also this. And you haven't seen that side of him yet. This is why Paul tells people don't put them in authority when they're young because they don't know what love is. Our modern rendition of Christian ministry is we need a warm body for a position. I don't care how long you've been saved, two weeks, two months, 
Brother, bless God, here's a microphone. That is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life. Does God use it? Yeah, because God uses donkeys all the time. Why? Why in the world do we feel like as believers that we, we get so excited when some secular person gets saved and one day after they're saved, they're on an interview talking about their salvation and we're gobbling it up like crazy. I'm like, this dude, it was 24 hours ago, he's a devil worshiper and his mind is not renewed. And yet whenever you look at somebody who's been walking 20, 30, 40 years with God, you're like, well, I just disagree. It's like, man, why, what makes all these people that just get saved have the authority to speak the word of God? They can tell their testimony, yeah. But to, to, to get into issues of scripture, it's like, what are you doing? I just disagree with that. But I'm gonna love them. I'm like, okay, God will use it. And he does, he uses it all the time. But I have a saying for my life. I don't want God to use me in spite of me. I want God to use me because of me. Because you have the choice to be a donkey or a son. Donkeys are just convenient to use. Sons are far more conventional. Does this make sense to you? Sacrifice yourself, Peter. The way I sacrificed for you. Do you know in Peter's Gospels, when he starts, you know, he starts writing his epistles... You know what form of, of word of love he uses the most? Agape. <laughs> when he, something happened to this guy. He went from this to when he started exhorting the church to love one another. He uses the word phileo a couple times, but he also backs it up with the word agape. Something happened. His definition of love changed. And you're never going to touch love. I'm never going to touch love in its deepest place until you're not expecting to receive it, but you're just giving it. And when you're in the depth of giving it and it's turned against you, that you don't quit giving it. We'll touch it next time I speak the last part of 1 Corinthians 13, when defining love, it says love never fails. That word fails literally means it goes the distance and doesn't quit. Well, I'm going to quit you, pastor, because I disagree with you. Okay. That shows me that I've always loved you, but you have never loved me. And I won't stop loving you. But you've chosen the amount of love I can be able to give because you're no longer present. The nature of division is to separate love. This is why you'll find in the New Testament that gossip and division are more talked about as deep, horrible sins in the church than anything else. Because if you've been with us this far in the Ephesians series, how much of Ephesians does Paul, God through Paul address our relationship with one another? It's almost 60% of the book. Because a father who is love cares about how his children treat each other. And if he can't get his children to get into agape love, then all that's going to happen is division through the phileo. Jesus had to define love. 
because we didn't know what it is. And guess what? The Church of America still doesn't know what it is. I want you to ask yourself, Jesus speaking to you, your name, do you agape me? Do you agape me to where if I lead you to prison for others, that you're not offended in me? Do you agape me to where if I lead you to the lion's den for others, you're not offended? Do you agape me if I lead you to the cross for someone else and they're the one crucifying you, that you're not offended in me? Or do you just phileo God? I like phileo, man, it's awesome. I mean, my flesh loves phileo. I love when the spirit's on me and I feel good about somebody and we're having this, you know, slap on the back moment and I love you so much. I mean, I like that stuff, but that's not love. It's just one immature part of it. The command of Jesus is not phileo, it's agape. Unconditional sacrifice is phileo love. But you cannot sacrifice unless there's a context to where someone is killing you. See, the modern culture will tell you, you don't deserve that. You just move on with your life, girl. Such a bunch of garbage. Facebook's trash. It's like so many people, even in this church, are getting trained by wrong things on Facebook with these people posting this stupid. You know what I figured out? Like, like it, everybody deserves to have an opinion, but not everybody deserves a platform for it. That's been very evident. Do you phileo God or do you agape him? Just stand with me. I'm sorry I went long. I couldn't get most of this in. It's just such a huge topic. Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church. Love one another. These are all commands of agape. If anybody in here has the idea that when God gives you the opportunity to agape love, that's gonna feel good, you need to change that right now because when it hits you square between the eyes, everything you are is gonna show itself. And that's how you grow in love. You get exposed, you realize you don't have it, you realize you responded wrong, you realize you don't love those people the way you should and then you have to beg God, help me love my wife, help me love my brother, help me love my neighbor because I cannot do it. And then he's going to say something like, go serve them, go feed them. But I don't want to. Yeah, it's a choice, not an emotion. It's a choice. Do you love me? It's a choice, not an emotion. He says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. It's a choice, not an emotion. So just pray with me. Father, I confess to you, and don't pray this if it's not your, your heart, but if it is, just pray it. Father, I confess to you that my love has been phileo. More than I care to admit. To, to you, to others. But, but I need agape. 
I need you because you are agape. You are love. And I want to love you. And I don't want you to look at me like Peter and say, why, why do you just fillet on me? Help me to love you, God. Help me to become love. Forgive me. And the next time I get an opportunity to love, help me through it. Because I need grace. I need the patience of love and I need mercy. Because when you teach me who you are, you expect me to learn from the lesson. So Father, we let the light of God come in. We humble ourselves. We don't want pride. We don't want to even be right. We want to be love. We meet people where they're at. We love them where they're at. And immature people need the phileo. But God for us, teach us how to agape. We ask these things in your most precious name, God. Let it be done by the spirit of truth. Amen.